0: This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon offered on the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, January 31st, 2021, at St. Simon Peter in Pell City. The principal text of the sermon is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-13, through 13, where the Apostle Paul write, writes to the church in Corinth about their divisions over eating food offered to idols. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Growing up and my family and folks that knew us, it was often remarked that Hudlows are a stubborn people. Now when our stubbornness was being used for good, folks might say that we were determined. But when our stubbornness was being used for not so good things, folks might call us headstrong. Along with this hudlow determination naturally came our desire to be right in most circumstances this stubbornness and desire to be right played out in a rather comical way once when i was visiting with my grandfather while i am a cradle episcopalian my granddaddy most certainly was not he was born a southern baptist and that was what he was going to be until the day he died As you might guess, that means that my granddaddy and I looked at things a little bit differently. It also meant that growing up, I had the benefit of learning from my grandfather to study and love the Bible. And so on this particular visit, when I was sort of grown, probably at least late teen, maybe early 20s, my grandfather and I got into a discussion about the book of Revelation how the whole thing was supposed to come to an end, and specifically about what was going to happen with the rapture. At particular issue where the Hudlow determination set in was on the number of times that the faithful would be brought up to heaven. Was it just once, one and done, or was there another time when God would raise the faithful up? Now, we both thought that we were right, and so our discussion began to shift into being more of a debate, and as it was really approaching an argument, my father interceded at that moment and sent both of us to bed. And I know as I walked down the hall to the guest room, I knew I was right, and I felt pretty certain that my granddaddy, as he made his way to his bedroom, felt the exact same way. Now, surely... The desire to be right is not limited to the Hudlow family. It seems to be part of our very human DNA that we want to be right. And it is this need to be right and what we do with our rightness that Paul is writing about in his letter to the Corinthians. Corinth, if you maybe remember, is this city about 40 miles south-southwest of Athens. It's a commercial hub. There's lots of comings and goings. It's religiously diverse. Lots of people know lots of different things. It's a city where a few people are very, very rich and where many people are very, very poor. And it's these socioeconomic divisions that find their way into the foundation of the church at Corinth and caused division from the very beginning and would cause that division for several generations and it would be what we come to remember the Church of Corinth being about. This particular issue of division that Paul is writing about today is about whether or not you should eat food that had been offered to idols. See, because Corinth was such a buzzing metropolis, there were lots of people coming and going. And when they came and went, they brought with them their gods and their cultures and their beliefs. And for the Greeks, it didn't really mean anything to set up another idol in the marketplace so that the people that followed that god could make their offerings. So in the church in Corinth, there began to be a division on whether or not Christians should eat the food offered at these idols. Because oftentimes, once the offering had been made, this food would find its way into the marketplace or to people's dinner parties or things like that. Now, we might think this is silly, but Paul's going to spend about three chapters writing about whether or not Christians should eat food offered to idols. And basically, the controversy in Corinth comes down to this. Some folks in the church know, like really, really know, that there is one God and that the idols that are in the marketplace are false and so that the food that is offered to them is just food and can be eaten just like anything else. Then there are other folks, good, well-meaning, truly believing Christians that believe in Jesus and all that Paul had taught that still see power in the idols that are in the marketplace. That still see that they have sway over people in this world. And so those people do not want to eat the food offered to those idols for fear that they may fall into temptation and sin and be led away from God. Now, Paul intercedes. He agrees that the food is just food and that the idols are false. But he also agrees that the idols of this world still do have power over people, particularly people that are maybe not as certain in their faith as others. And so, in writing to the church in Corinth, he advises them that knowledge of the facts is not just enough, it's what you do with that knowledge that's going to become important. The people need to know the idols are false, the food is just food, but they also need to know that sometimes their brothers and sisters may find this to be a stumbling block. And so it's not just a matter of what's simple and on the face. The question is not so much who is right, but who is right in their actions and their care of the community. So Paul, very certain, knowing that there is only one God, knowing that the idols are false and the food is just food, and also knowing that this food and these idols are stumbling blocks for others, says that if it prevents them from falling away from God, I will never eat meat. We can be right all day long, but we can still be a stumbling block for our neighbors. We have to take care, Paul says. We have to take care of this exousia, This knowledge that we have that gives us liberty is how it's translated in Corinthians. We have to be careful of the liberty that we have. But this word exousia also shows up in our gospel reading from Mark, and there it's translated as authority. And it's used to describe Jesus' teachings. Right? So in the Gospel of Mark, where we are now, Jesus has been baptized, he's gone into the wilderness, he's come back out, he emerges in Capernaum to begin his public ministry in the synagogue. And there, his teachings, even though we're not told what they are, we know that they cause a stir by everybody that is there. He gets people talking, and they are so disturbing that they disturb the forces of evil that are possessing a man that is in the synagogue. And in that moment, while everybody else doesn't know what's going on, there is one being in the synagogue that knows exactly who Jesus is, and that is the demon possessing the man who says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. St. Augustine, in considering the scene and other scenes of demons recognizing Jesus, warns us, that even the devils confessed and knew who Christ was. They had knowledge of who Jesus was, but they did not have love. So the demons were right, but without love, they were still just demons and were cast out by Jesus' authority that was built not on the knowledge that the scribes had, but on the love of God that became incarnate in Christ. I think we probably do better in translating this word "exousia" that we find in Corinthians as authority because we in this country, when we hear liberty, what we think about is what I as an individual get to do and nobody can stop me from doing. But I still think that when we hear the word authority, we feel the weight of responsibility of community that comes with it. So Paul tells us we've got to take care that this authority that we have by knowing the truth of God through Jesus Christ does not lead us to become or create situations that are stumbling blocks for others. That knowledge is not just enough if it's not guided by our love of God and of our brothers and sisters. It's not enough as Christians to be right. We've also got to do right. The trick that I figured out in that great debate that I had with my granddaddy that night was that we were both right to some extent, but we had missed the full story of the book of Revelation, that final victory of God's love defeating the evil powers of this world because we had gotten so fixated on tiny little pieces that it took both of us being right together to tell the whole story. And I think in a way that's what Paul is saying. There is certainly truth and correctness in those that say we can eat the food offered to idols, but there is also truth and correctness to those that say I may be too weak to do that and that may lead me astray in my faith. Paul's call is to remember that it takes the whole community to be the church of God in Christ. It is the whole community that captures the truth of what that exousia, that authority built on love means. Right now we live in a world where everyone is very concerned about being right, but not so much concerned with about doing right. A lot of folks claim their right knowledge gives them the authority or liberty to do such and such thing with very little concern of how it might affect their friend or their family member or their neighbor or their stranger that is in need. If we just rely on having the right knowledge, we are just waiting for that balloon that's been puffed up by our own ego to burst. We have to get back to seeing each other as family to see the connection that is between us all and the realization that we are bound together by the love that is found in one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things and through whom we exist. So let us remember to find that love today. Amen.